So we were studying the five yamas and the five niyamas. In the previous two classes, the yamas and the niyamas form the very foundation of the yoga. As we have already discussed, that as per the practice of the yoga is concerned, there are eight limbs. What are the eight limbs? Yama, Niyama, Asana, Pranayama, Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi. So these are the eight limbs of yoga of which the foundation is the Yama and the Niyama. Yama means the restraints that I have to stop from the old ways of living once I have that awareness of the spiritual dimension of my existence to get identified with it, to get established in it, I have to, to a certain extent, detach myself from the old ways of living. And for that detachment, practicing of detachment, the five restraints, uh, which has been described as the yama, the restraints, that was enunciated. There is Ahimsa, Satya, Asteya, Brahmacharya, and Aparigraha. They were the five, that non-injury, that is the very first and the foremost practice. Actually, all the yama and the niyama practices is somehow or other, directly or indirectly, linked with the practice of Ahimsa. If one is established in Ahimsa, all the other nine practices automatically will be followed. You need not have to separately practice them. If one is steadfast in Ahimsa, the other practices follows spontaneously. Ahimsa is the non-injury, Kai Manavakya, not only just the restraint from physical uh, non-violence, physical violence, even I don't harbor any enmity, jealousy, rancor, all those in my mind. Satya, truthfulness, that makes us carefree. That all the practices at last should entail in the calming down of my mind. The mind which is the only thing which I have to deal with in the practice of the yoga, as has been enunciated at the very beginning of the Yoga Sutra, that yoga is nothing but the chitta vritti nirodha, to stop the vagaries of the mind, to stop the fluctuations of the mind. And for that, all these practices are aimed at that, that if I constantly resort to asatya, my mind will be disturbed. Constantly that fear will be there. I will be caught. I may be caught. I have to invent new lies to protect me, safeguard me from being get caught. And that makes me totally careworn. Outwardly, I may feel I have won. That many say that those who resort to falsehood, they seem to have won the match, the game in life. They are flourishing, they are, sometimes we see they are flourishing, they are not caught. But yoga at last is aiming at the condition of our mind, which is not seen, which is not visible, which is not advertised, 
which I know from the bottom of my heart. The conscience is such a thing, the conscience is such a thing, which I can never simply stifle it. It will be constantly there, constantly uh, disturbing me if it is not clean. So Satya, if I'm not practicing, I'm bound to be restless. I'm bound to fill that, uh, what you say that care, care-worn. I have to be, I am bound to be care-worn. I can never be carefree. The mind can never rest in peace. So Satya is that's why very important practice. That's where the yoga is concerned. Swami Vivekananda again and again has indicated that the biggest mistake we do in our life is that we take care of only the material uh, things of our life, which actually uh, encompasses a very small part of our life. Most of the life, actually most portion of our life, we are dealing with the mind. How much time we really uh, are involved in the sensual pleasures, all the wealth which we have accumulated, after all, your capacity to eat food is limited. At last, you have to resort to some restricted diet. You cannot just simply go on uh, using your wealth for having uh, this more delicacies and enjoying uh, enjoyment of the senses impossible. Your body won't allow you. You have to restrict yourself. Then the rest of the time, what you will do with it? At last, if I have not restrained my mind, I will find, restrained my mind, cultured my mind, my life becomes a hell. That's the biggest problem with the present civilization. With all the material advancement, at last we find that in your academics, what are the three subjects which actually uh, the, those who get very high grades, they all sought for, they're all... Uh, running for this law, medical, and psychology. Those who get 99.9 percentiles, so they all get the chance because the demand is so high. What it speaks of, it speaks of lifestyle diseases. It speaks of the, the legal matters that the more we get involved with the world, the more we make it complicated. And that's why the law, and of course at last, I have to deal with my own mind and I will find I have wrecked my mind. I've created a havoc there. And at last that psychologist is the one I have to resort to. In the olden days, the place of the spiritual preceptor, the guru, that the, who has taken place, that this is the doctors, the lawyers and the psychologists. That's the big paradox of life. In the, where today only I was seeing a TED talk that the way we define reality, is it really the reality? That this present world with no God, no spirituality, we are going to destroy the civilizations. You will find that the Aboriginal civilization in Australia are for 40,000, 50,000, with the years they are sustaining, with the idea of some divinity, with the idea of nature as something living, thriving, with, I have to relate to with reverence, those are the ideas which the modern science says is just make-belief. It's not real. And just see the paradox of it. 
with that type of imaginations which we feel they have lived for 40000 50000 years and with the idea of the modern science it is just 200 and 300 years we have spent with that idea and we find we are at the brink of annihilation this is the reality this is our reality the boast the reality which we boast so here yoga the perennial philosophy speaks of that reality which may be not palpably visible through our senses but there is some world which is not just filtered by the sense which is filtered by the senses to which we are relating there is a world which is beyond the senses and to that only all these perennial phrases were just dealing with and that's why we find that all these practices is somehow related to that ahimsa satya asteya this non theft that also you will find that the same reason if you are stealing others time others property any or in any way you are just committing theft others peace and happiness it at last is going to affect my tranquility it may appear that i am clever i have won the game but as per that other dimension of my existence is concerned the spiritual life you will find you have compromised with that so satya asteya brahmacharya brahmacharya speaks of restraint if i find that this my mind is scattered with the so called sensed pleasures of life i can never think of concentrating the present day you will find adhd is the big problem attention deficiency hyperactivity and for the reason for that constantly watching tv constantly in pursuit of the sensed pleasures of life the thing which has came to my mind immediately it has to be fulfilled and that type of mentality is bound to make you restless is going to make you hyperactive is going to make you uh always in a in a situation where you find that as if you are tensed just one desire is fulfilled immediately i want another and that's there's this attention deficiency is very natural so the brahmacharya to certain extent this restraint so that i can be focused all are leading to yoga why i am focused so that that my senses are constantly dragging me outward making me forget of the real of the reality which finds expression in my in the spiritual domain i am not aware of it i cannot focus brahmacharya aparigraha i don't accept anything non acceptance is very important because that also is constantly disturbing my mind constantly i am expecting something constantly i am expecting something aparigraha means neither seek nor avoid to be happy with what all situations the life has provided me i continue with it i don't go on seeking if i find it is sufficient to sustain me i am quite happy with it aparigraha and then comes the observances this restraints are like weeding off the weeds from the garden of mind and then the sowing the seeds what are the seeds through the observances i am just showing shocha cleanliness this cleanliness 
makes us aware of the spiritual entity within. Just the way we keep the shrine very clean. Why? The God dwells there. Any place of worship, whether it be church or it be mosque or it be a temple, any place, you will find it is speak and span clean. Why? That cleanliness is next to godliness. That where the Lord dwells, that place should be clean. It should be maintained very neat and clean. So that's the idea that this, I keep my body clean because here my soul is enshrined. The God is enshrined there. This is a temple. This is a church where God is enshrined. So shocha, it's not just for beautification. That's what we indicated when Nivedita came to India. He found that for the first time, he, she found that bathing, taking it deep in the Ganges is a sacred act. It's not just cleaning the body or just beautifying the body for some worldly engagements. It has some spiritual implications. It has a deep in the Ganges is filled with a sense of sacredness. You feel you have been purified. So that's how just by the same act, when you do with a different orientation, that Shocha speaks of that physical cleanliness leading to mental cleanliness. Shocha, Santosha, to be always satisfied. That never go on hankering. This Aparigraha and uh, Santosha, this too has some similarity. Aparigraha fix of restaurant. I restrain myself, don't go on asking. And at the same time, if I'm, I'm, though I am restraining, but mentally some hankering may be there to stop that hankering, that is practice of santosha. I am just quite happy with whatever the life has provided me. So this santosha is contentment. And then the other three practices, which follows is that which in the last class video are discussing, tapa, swadhyaya, ishara, pranidhana. Tapa, for any endeavor in life, for any self-improvement. I have to work against the lethargy. I have to work against all the negative uh, propensities. And that creates as if a friction. That's the meaning of the word tapa. Wherever there is friction, there is heat. Tapa means heat. So when there is a friction, whenever I'm trying to improve myself, I'm trying to get rid of the dross of my mind by meditating, by studying, and what is happening then that I have to, I will find that it's not that easy. I have to use my willpower at the beginning till I have developed a liking for it. Constantly have to use my willpower. And that is as if fighting against, is as if working against the friction. And that's how, that's the real meaning of the tapas. And then swadhyaya. Swadhyaya actually speaks of reputation. That once after studying the scriptures, you have developed an intellectual conviction. Yes, I am sure about the fact that the real substratum behind the existence is a conscious principle. What I see is apparent. It's just a projection. The conscious principle is the core of my being. Once I'm intellectually convinced, 
I have to live each and every moment of life as per that conviction. And that's what I have to do constantly, repeat that conviction. That Sravana, Madana, Nididhyasana are the practices in Vedanta. The same thing is done here. After hearing the scripture, Sravana, Manana, you had an intellectual cogitation on it. And that gives you some, that intellectual conviction. And once you have the conviction, now comes the Swadhyaya. You have to repeat it in the form of mantra again and again. That helps us to resort to the neuroplasticity. Once a new path is created in your mind, we find that what, whenever our mind creates a new path, now we forget the necessity. Just to do that thing becomes our obsession. So this Swadhyaya actually speaks of some obsession, which is positive. It is just like using a thorn to prick out the thorn which has pierced you. When you're passing through a forest, some thorn has pierced you. So how to get rid of it? From the same thorny bush, you prick, pick up another thorn. And with the help of that, you prick out the thorn. When it has been thorn, it has been pricked out. There's no use of both the thorns. You throw them out. So Swadhyaya is something which is a practice which will lead you to a state of spontaneity. And then the so-called Swadhyaya is not required because it has now become a spontaneous state of your existence. And when you have reached that state, Ishwara Pranidhana, to constantly, spontaneously have a sense of resignation to the divine becomes a state of your existence. So these are the 10 practices which constitutes Yama and Niyama. Now comes the 33rd Sutta, that when we try to practice, we will find it's not easy. The perverse thoughts, the thoughts which are contrary to the practice of Yama and Niyama is as if lurking behind our mind to disturb us, to just somehow disturb our balance and take us to the old ways of living. So that's why what is required is Vitarka. Just the way to maintain our physical health, constantly our body in the form of the blood, in the blood, the antigens, the antibodies are fighting the microbes, the virus, that's the immune system. Uh, the stronger it is, the healthier we are. So this vitarka is the immune system of your mind. That constantly you have to think opposite to the perverse thoughts. It will come. I have to explain my mind that this is something which is going to harm me. And again, resort back to my practice. I shouldn't be swayed away by those perverse thoughts. So that's the thing which is indicated in the next sutra, the 33rd sutra, which we will study uh, today. Vitarka badhane pratipaksha bhavanam. So when the restraints and observances which we have studied, the niyama, ayama and the niyama, they are inhibited. They are restricted by the perverse thoughts. So vitarka badhane is vitarka Whenever there is this, it is stopped by all these perverse thoughts. 
then the opposite pratipaksha pratipaksha means the contender the opposite should, thought should be thought of so this is a very simple thing which has been told this pratipaksha bhavanam is a very important thing in spiritual life why because if you study the nature of the mind you will find a very interesting thing the mind constantly is uh, jumping from thought to thought it is constantly engaged in its vagaries but one thing at a time it can never have more than one thought the mind can never do multitasking you may say no we do that when we study we can uh, listen to some song it's a wrong idea what happens the mind is actually constantly jumping from one activity to the other at a very fast sequence giving you the idea you are doing everything simultaneously but never the mind can never do multitasking the mind is just like the video actually even when, when you are seeing a video uh you know that in the olden days the reel that the this all still pictures in the reel it is actually in the video reel it is all still pictures and when they're revolving at a very fast speed and the light is falling on that in the screen it creates the impression of motion but actually all the pictures are still pictures moving very fast giving the impression of emotion the same thing is happening with the mind when it is doing multitasking we think we are doing so many things simultaneously but actually it is jumping from one activity to the other at a such a fast pace giving me an impression that all the things are happening simultaneously and invariably what happens the quality of any of the actions which we are doing at the time of multitasking is affected because after all the mind cannot focus in all the things simultaneously it is constantly jumping from one activity to the other activity thereby compromising with the quality of whatever we are doing because the focus cannot be there totally so multitasking is never possible and this is the thing which speaks of the pratipaksha bhavanam that whenever you are assailed by the perverse thoughts immediately go back to your practice just pacify the mind explain it what to explain that i am behaving like a you know the dog sometimes will be licking its own vomit so in the commentary vyasa is giving a very nice example that after you have resorted to the practice of yoga and now if you are swayed away by the perverse thoughts it is just like like a dog licking your own vomit that why i have resorted to the practice of yoga after knowing very well that the old ways of life is just something like vomit i have vomited out they are not something to be resorted to so it's my vomit i have rejected it and now again you are resorting to it it is just like licking your own vomit that's what vyasa so strongly he is saying so i have to explain the mind that it is only because that my i am aware of the fact that my old way of living is in no way going to help me spiritually i have rejected them so how can now i dwell in those old ways of living and the old thought processes 
Whenever the mind goes there, immediately I have to pacify by this idea and bring it back again to my practice. And it is possible. Quite how it is possible? That pratipaksha bhavana. That suppose I am terribly angry with someone, and there is genuine reason for that. But I know it very well that anger at last is going to affect me physically, mentally, spiritually. The other who has done some wrong to me, for that anger is never justified. It is in no way helping anyone. It is no way harming the person who has done wrong to me. He is quite happy with himself. But it is all harming me. That anger is affecting me physically, mentally, spiritually. creating mental turmoil so what's the way out pratipaksha bhavana don't run away from that situation think of that same person and willfully try to just emanate compassion empathy towards that person yes it can be done however wrong may be done against you one thing is very important in this life we say others have wronged against wronged me but if you ask that person they will say no i was justified in this world there is never fight between good and bad the fight is between the perspectives as per our different level of evolution our perspectives are different and this world is a madhouse because there is a constant clash of these perspectives everyone says i am good the other person is the evil you everywhere you will say and it's not something there it is a uh, they're trying to pro, um, uh, just uh, create a propaganda really they believe that i am right the other person is wrong is a constant fight of perspective so even if you feel that someone has somebody has done wrong to you something wrong what can i do yes as per his state of evolution his perspective is something different from where it makes him behave the way he or she is behaving if most probably i was in his or her state i also would have behaved in the same way this is what is empathy empathy means that when it's to come out of your own shoes and wear other shoes and then you will find that why that person was limping because it pinches somewhere unless i open my shoes and wear the shoes of the other person i won't know where it pinches so this opening your shoes wearing the other shoes is what is empathy try to think yourself from his situation and then you can pray for that same person that such and such person because of such and such mental state such and such upbringing such and such mental state has such and such perspective if i were him i also most probably would have been the same person identify with that person and now i can pray that let him also evolve that that in we find that constantly that prayer is there to give sat buddhi let all have that perspective from which they can evolve out to better and better perspective that's why swami ji used to say this world there is nothing called evil and something good So everything is good try to be better try to be best says all the goodness is having various hierarchy good better best 
So everything is good. Nothing is bad. Try to be better. Try to be better. And from that standpoint, I need not swear on others, curse others by saying he's evil. From that pers- such a perspective, he's also okay. So that's how we can practice compassion even when I'm angry with someone. Even the one who has really done me terrible harm. And that's how what happened that situation. Instead of becoming a retardation factor of my spiritual growth, becomes something, an opportunity to practice spirituality. In this life, if we are searching for circumstances, situations where I can practice spirituality, our condition, as has been told by the scripture, will be like something, a person sitting by the uh, sea, sitting on the sea beach and waiting. When the wave stops, ceases, I will have a deep. He's a fool. The waves are never going to stop. It will be there. If I have to take a dip in the ocean, in spite of the waves, I have to take a dip. And spirituality is something like that. Not by changing the circumstances. I take that circumstances as an opportunity, not as a deterring factor, and try to orient my mind in such a way that the same situation, instead of being a returning factor, becomes an opportunity to outgrow. And that's, you'll find that Pratipaksha Bhavaram has a wide implication in your spiritual life. That whatever situation you find, negativity is growing in you. Instead of blaming the situation, circumstances, person, immediately take your attention inwards and try to just think that how I can orient my mind in such a way that all these negative feelings within me shouldn't grow. This should give me an opportunity to practice something positive. Just the opposite of it. For anger, compassion. So if we can just be aware of each and every moment that pure, this in English there's a proverb, the sign of purity is vigilance. Be constantly vigilant. If any negative uh, emotions, negative thoughts comes in your mind, that means I was not vigilant. The weakness was on my part. The evil was within me that it never allowed me to be vigilant. It has to be, the, the bird has to be nipped at the very root. Immediately when it comes, you have to hold it. If you just allow it to stay in your mind, after time it will simply overwhelm you. At the very beginning, it's if you can hold it, you can control it. But once it has really uh, swollen, it is swollen, it has outgrown, it has really become something big. It is beyond your control. So very beginning, you have to hold it. And that's the thing which has been indicated by the idea of Pratipaksha Bhavana. So when a sadhaka experiences the feelings of hatred or, or is tortured by any of the fairy passions which lead us to the wrong course of conduct, so immediately he should encourage the contrary thoughts. That is the Pratipaksha Bhavana. And he should contemplate that it is because that I am 
burning in this so-called in the cycles of birth uh, it is just like it is roasting me the life is roasting me that's why i have taken refuge to the yoga and i have you know that even uh, in sanyasa that one of the main oaths in sanyasa is that abhayadana that i assure security to all beings i won't harm anyone so it actually speaks as a practice for any novice in spiritual life the moment i enter the spiritual life that is that should be the first oath in any way i shouldn't harm anyone and then you will find all the practices are now turning within instead of trying to wreck this what is it that uh, reform the world you now turn within and think of reforming yourself i can never reform the external world reformation has to happen within and that's what the spirituality is pratipaksha bhavana speaks of the second line of defense when i uh, myself was posted to narottam nagar arunachal pradesh long back so the one of the senior swamis told me a very interesting thing that when you are going to the tribal area you will be dealing with the tribal children one thing you will find they are so innocent so pure but suddenly when they get angry you will find that person has suddenly changed totally changed their anger can be extreme at the moment of anger they can do anything and i really found whenever uh, i had to deal with those students they were so calm and quiet for some reason they get angry they because they can just uh, harm others they can be extremely violent and if you ask them why you why you are behaving this way very simple answer i got angry what can i do as simple as that means if you are angry what can you do that's a, that's a, is quite natural so the swami told me that this is the thing which education actually teaches us what when in the so called the uh, that the tribal area the people are very peaceful but somehow that spiritual training hasn't happened what is that the second line of thinking that if i get angry at last it is going to harm me suppose in the school the student there will be disciplinary actions that the guardian will be called maybe maybe suspended for some time because he was so violent all those things never comes to their mind so these that it is after all going to harm me if i react at last at the spur of the moment i react but in the long run it is harming me so this thought should stop me in behaving in those awkward ways so there the second line of defense that first for the very spiritual idea that i have to be established my own self that's why i have resorted to this practice but when the perverse thought comes then i should resort to this second line of defense by thinking that for now that i have forgotten the spiritual goal i am behaving in this old way but is it going to help me even in my day to day life no i will find it is disintegrating me that's the meaning of the word this word dharma is a very wide implication that one the word dharma means characteristic 
just like the dharma of water is to flow the characteristic of water the characteristic of fire is to give heat burn is to heat similarly as a human being one of the characteristic is i cannot remain satisfied in the sensate level of existence today or tomorrow somehow the thought of that other dimension of existence is bound to come i am bound to ask the meaning of life the purpose of life as a human being it is my characteristic and that way it speaks of that spiritual entity vishishyate ti dharma it gives me that visheshata that is the dharma one of the definition of dharma is vishishyate iti dharma and another definition of dharma is dharayati iti dharma if i forget the my that vishish visheshata to remain established in the consciousness if i forget that then at least this idea dharayate that i shouldn't lose my integrity that all the society no one is going to applaud me for my this reckless behavior so that should become the second line of defense and that is also a way of thinking of the pratipaksha bhavana so vitarka vadane pratipaksha bhavana that one of the sentence i still remember one of the swami being in administration so to, in administration to lose your temper is quite uh, it's an easy thing it there are a lot of scopes to lose your temper to lose your cool and in complete works in two three places swami ji swami vivekananda there is a, a sentence is there swami vivekananda's quotation what's that anger is never justified anger that sometimes we think anger is justified the swami ji is saying that anger is never justified and that's the thing he has written in big words and kept on the table to remind himself again and again that in administration we may sometimes think anger is justified to remind that as per the spiritual life is concerned for which that administration job is secondary he is there for his spiritual evolution and that's why he has chosen this particular life so he has to mold his life in such a way where he can no, no in no situation he justifies the anger it is never justified that is the pratipaksha bhavana and then immediately again go back to the practice of the yoga so let's see that the anger when it is coming up when it is uh what you say that uh, developing within you to stop it and think of compassion is the practice of ahimsa otherwise i that's the world forces me to resort to himsa it is not just eating vegetarian food which makes you ahimsa constantly the there are so many people who are pure vegetarians who are having the appearance of a religious person but are constantly harming others in so many devious ways not only thought so even they will be planning we will be coming to that sutra that anumodita there is your uh, what you say that you um, sometimes support sometimes give your you may be not directly doing the violence but you may be supporting or making uh, making others to act in a way for you says so, so you have just appointed someone to do that so so many ways the violence can happen the yoga sutra will deal with all those aspects in the next sutra it will deal with it 
So in no way I resort to violence nor make others that for me, I just don't instigate others to be violent. That also is a practice of Hingsa. In no way I resort to violence. So that's the thing that anger is never justified. That's the idea which speaks of Pratipaksha Bhavanam. So that's why constantly all the negative emotions, negative thoughts have to be taken care of. And for that, that vigilance is of prior importance. Then only I can keep my mind pure. This, this the prize of purity is vigilance. And through that vigilance comes the Pratipaksha Bhavana. So that's the 33rd Sutra. As we told, the 34th Sutra will speak of that this Vitarka, how it finds expression in layers, in various layers. You'll find that the yoga as a psychology was evolved in those olden days, how magnificently they have thought of the human mind. So let if you go to the 34th Sutra, you will find that in each of those the practices of Yama and Niyama, if we are not practicing it properly, each of the practices you will find there are 27 layers of 27 layers of uh, uh, doing the contrary thing. Going this vipaksha that we, we can do the contrary uh, of that practice in 27 ways. Each of those 10 means on, if you take the 10 together it becomes 270 ways we can be acting contrary to those practices. What are those 270 uh, layers of being contrary to the practices that will be indicated in the next sutra, the 34th sutra. Let us read the sutra and then we will go to the discussion. Vitarka himsadayaha himsadayaha krita karita anumodita lobha krodha moha purvaka mridu madhya Adhimatra Dukha Agyana Anantafala Iti Pratipaksha Bhavanam. So, what is the method of thinking to the contrary? That how I can resort to Hinsa? 27 ways. How? Vitarka. The obstructions to the yoga is Vitarka. Like Hinsa, like killing others, like being violent. The first one, that Ahinsa, let's take that. Hingsa dayaha, hingsa adayaha means uh, nonviolence, etc. Means nonviolence and the other nine. This all can be violated. How? Krita, karita, anumodita. Either I commit myself, that is krita. It can be caused. I appoint, I appoint someone. I myself don't do it. I appoint someone. So that is karita. I do it. I am the cause of that violence. Or it may be un approved, anumodita. Maybe I have not asked someone to be violent, but someone, I am inimical to someone, and I find that someone is harming that person. I haven't asked, but I approve. I'm happy. Yes, that's the good thing which has been done. That is anumodana. Just see how subtly the yoga has went. These obstructions of yoga can be directly committed, it can be caused, or it may be just approved. 
And there will be, for all these three, there will be three reasons out of greed. I may be committing to Hingsa out of greed. We will come to the examples that yes, out of greed, lobha, krodha, out of anger, out of rage, I may be violent. I may be violent out of greed, this lobha, out of anger, krodha, or out of infatuation, moha. We will come to the examples. First, let us go to the sutra. And each of these again can find expression in three ways. It may be mild, mridu, moderate, madhya, or excess, overwhelmed. That I may harm someone just mildly by just abuse or use some bad words. Or moderate. Moderate means uh, maybe I have harmed him uh, physically. Came to blows. And adhimatra. He has been killed most probably. That is adhimatra. So crime can be in various degrees. So that's way, just hingsa. Let us find out hingsa. It can be krita, karita, anumadita. Three. Now krita again can be out of lobha, krodha, moha. Karita also can be out of lobha, krodha, moha. Anumadita can also be out of lobha, krodha, moha. And again, lobha can be of each of those categories. Again, lobha can be mridu, madhya, adhimatra. So that way, if you divide you will find there are 27 layers of obstructions to the, what is this uh, committing? Uh, something against the practice of the yoga. So to be aware that how, that how I can just uh, be violating the practice of yoga in each of these practices, they're in 27 ways, in 27 layers. So that is the Pratipaksha Bhavana. So in no way, but I shouldn't harm anyone just mildly, not in a moderate way, nor uh, in, in overwhelming fashion. And that also, it shouldn't be guided by, motivated by either greed or anger or infatuation. And even if I myself is not harming, I have approved someone or I'm the cause or I've committed so that so many ways I can be violent to be aware of this fact and to resist, desist from acting in a contrary way to the, in contrary to the yoga is Pratipaksha Bhavana. Now let us just take an example that there's Hingsa, only that the Ahimsa, the, the non-injury, the opposite to it, Hingsa. It can be out of greed. For hundreds of years in India, the practice of Sati Daha Pratha However, we may try to spiritualize it. Yet yeah, there are people who still spiritualizes it. But the basic reason is economy. If the husband dies, in the olden days, uh, there the practice of marriage. The girl may be just in her teens and the husband may be uh, quite advanced age. And naturally, she is going to become sati, a widow. Is going to become a widow uh, today or tomorrow. But as per the law that once the husband dies, the entire property goes to the widow. Now, if the widow also dies, then the husband's other brothers, siblings, they get the property. And you will find actually it was out of greed. However, we may try to spiritualize it, that Sati Daha Pratha came into existence. That if somehow the widow also is 
burned along with the husband cremated that living human being i get the property we get the property we share the property so it is out of greed killing others out of greed satidaha killing someone to get the benefit of insurance sometimes in the present society we find that what a horrible thing was there in the name of satidaha we still do it there are so many cases just to get the benefit of insurance it is out of greed that there is uh, the killing even if not killing or because to get the economic benefit sometimes we find there are this in the present day that people don't want to marry because people some have have make it made it a point that yes divorce can be also out of greed maybe some not that is a basic reason lurking behind the greed to get the benefit by vile violence so these all violence is out of greed it can be out of anger like the honor killing rivalry religious intolerance it can be out of anger it can be out of infatuation more what's the infatuation yes in the present day also we find that yes if i kill the infidels i go to heaven it's a pure there's no religion mentions that it's a pure infatuation false way in the wrong way of understanding one's own religion so that's what no religion ascribes to that but that infatuation moha that by killing the non believers i will go to heaven so that we find it in so many ways that out of greed out of anger out of infatuation lobha krodha moha that there can be the expression of violence expression of injury and that all has to be restricted and if i cannot then it results in dukha agyana ananta phala i don't know for how many births i will suffer the consequences of it this rebirth where we will find that some someone may say that it is just a concept whether it's a fact there are many such evidences that one evidences we give is edgar casey that he is from an christian background he was not a very educated person he was not uh, ever edgar casey is called the sleeping prophet he used to go to some a state of uh, drowsiness and then he used to prophesy if anyone comes he will prophesy that uh, it started very interestingly this edgar casey that if anyone has some incurable disease that person is to be brought to, to in presence in his presence he will go to that state of that uh, is a half sleep and then he will prescribe some remedy and that started working and there was a huge crowd lot of science groups were always vigilant whether there is any fraud in it nobody could find anything a simple person edgar casey that's how his life starts and after years after many years now suddenly one question that not the cure that what is the cure what is the remedy instead that why he had the disease and this person who had never read about this uh, the oriental religions where the idea of reincarnation is there this person when he went to that st- state of that half sleep in the couch he lies down you know he started saying in his last birth he did such and such thing and for a, as a consequence he suffering such and such thing in this life so it was a revelation to so many people that from where this idea of this past birth comes and it's a huge t- study the edgar casey foundation it's still running 
there's there are so many cases means inevitable uh, proofs are proofs are there how's the proof that he is speaking that this person in the previous birth had such and such name was in such and such place is to reside in such and such place and the time also is saying in such and such year and some very recent births this previous birth the people start th- thought of cross examining they thought that the person he's saying was 20 years back was in such and such uh, place and they went and searched the records and found exactly that such and such person's name is there the same name and all the background which is speaking of has been found so it was something which even now many doubt but there are many reasons to feel that he was quite genuine and there are innumerable such case studies so when a person who was blind was brought to him he told this person in the previous birth was from a clan who used to blind the enemies when captivated and now he has been born as blind he was a if one is dyspeptic he just gave he told that why is he dyspeptic he was a glutton in the last birth this has resulted in dyspeptic this has made him dyspeptic in this birth those who were extremely cruel in the previous birth we find they are the victims of crime in this next birth so all those case studies are there it affects our psychology in such a way karma no one is waiting outside to uh, what you say that deliver the results of our action no one we reap what we sow you know how it happens the only thing which has been implanted in us is conscience we can never get rid of it and as per the conscience all our actions is going to have some positive or negative effect on our psyche and which will find expression through our body it's bound to find expression all our so called diseases are psychosomatic it has its root in the psyche and that's how the karma works and that's why it has been told dukha agyana anantafala you cannot get rid of it that i am angry let me get rid of this person and now i can live a very enjoyable life no it's impossible it is going to uh, what is it constantly erode me not only in this life life after life in its it is going to have its effect so dukha agyana anantafala so that is almost like that hell this word eternal hell may not be correct yes no one is going to be in eternal hell but yes it can be almost like eternity it can continue for so many births that it is almost equal to it just the, to idea the, understand the idea of relative eternity if the ant has a uh, in any way can have the idea of human life we th- we never think we live eternal for etern- for eternity but if the ant has the ant who has whose life is most probably for few days or few months to that ant we are eternal so that's how the idea of eternal is actually relatively true and that way as per our present idea of uh, time is concerned that the suffering may be for so many lives we may almost call it as eternity so that's what yoga is saying us warning us that it can be ananta though it is not in absolute sense ananta but in relative sense it can be ananta it can go on so beware
beware. So that's the thing which motivates us to always be in the right path. If not, that's highest spiritual uh, goal is not there in my mind. At least this idea that what if I do wrong, it is going to haunt me life after life. It's not going to leave me so easily. If this idea we are aware of, and it's a fact that it itself will enable us to integrate our personality and by not resorting to something which is going to disintegrate me, which is going to harm me. So that's what is being indicated in the 34th Sutra. So now one by one, the sutras will be taken to describe that when you get established in each of these uh, 10 practices, five yama and the five niyama, when you get established, what's the result? By seeing the result, we can understand that he has got established. So there will be some super normal powers you will be acquired. Just to say common thing that it has been, it has been seen that a, a holy person who has got established in ahimsa, there cannot be any violence in his presence. That a tiger has to eat uh, on its prey, has to survive on its prey. But if, even if a tiger is in the presence of that person, at least for the time being, it will for, forget himsa. From that, we can understand that he has got established in ahimsa. And there are many such instances, which actually is a demonstration of these sutras. It's not something uh, which is just uh, mentioned as a make-believe. There are so many instances which actually proves these sutras are correct. So we will take up one by one all these practices that how these practices that when it reaches perfection, how it finds expression as the supernatural powers, uh, how supernormal powers that the yogis have acquired. And that's the proof that you have got established in that practice. So that we will take up one by one in the next class. Thank you. Namaskar. Pranam Swamiji. Namaskar. Pranam